your boy DJ Lex Guevara and my co-host Frankie Franco LaFresh. What's AKA up, baby? AKA the People's Painter, AKA Franco LaFresh, AKA Mr. Franco. That's right. Uh, AKA Double F, so fresh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're hitting the internet waves from the top of Twin Peaks Sutro Tower. That's right. How dope is that? That is totally awesome, man. Dude. They just upgraded us in our uh, studio. Yeah, we don't have any mouth breathing, hopefully, any <laughs> mouth breathing picking up uh, in the background or uh, little kids running up and down stairs. So we should, be, we should be good. We should be good today, huh? Yes, sir. That's cool, man. And you know what? Uh, from the last show, it was our uh, preview show. Yeah, We've pilot. gotten so many comments. Everybody's enjoying it. We're getting all these followers. Continue to follow us at Lex B. Frank on Instagram, Twitter. And what's the other one? Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook. We've got our fan page. Yeah. Uh, we got to thank Envision It for the logo. We didn't thank them last time. Okay. Uh, and uh, today we have special guests. Why don't you introduce the special we guests? We have a very special guest, and it's also the first, uh, our very first uh, guest, right? Yeah. And so um, I can't say enough about this person, but uh, he has been. Uh, a mentor to me. Uh, he has been a great teacher, an advisor. He's done a lot for me. He's done a lot for a lot of people. Um, and uh, we'll just start talking. And uh, yeah. let's introduce him. All right. Dr. Richard Saros. Welcome. Hello, everyone. This is the old man. Yeah. <laughs> Retired and now happy. <laughs> and now happy. That's awesome. So where are we going to go from here? Tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you start? You know, how did you know? How did you get into what you do? How did you become a uh, basically an art historian, a doctor in art history? Well, I started out as a Chicano slash Mexican American. Yeah, it was something like that. We and I argued with myself, and I argued with everybody, and I couldn't figure out what I was. <laughs> anyway, my uh, early years, I worked in the fields. Oh. Like so many other Mexicans. Growing up uh, where? Growing up in Delano, right? In Delano, California, mm -hmm. and then Manteca, California. So my father hauled sugar beets. That was the big thing. And mm -hmm. so I, I've lifted tons of sugar beets by hand. Mm -hmm. And that was our work. And um, I did that all through high school, uh, picking tomatoes, thinning onions, mm -hmm. all that sort of thing, thinning sugar beets. Uh, you know, and from what it sounds like, um, you sound Mexican, for sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, my, my name used to be Manuel Labor. Really? Manuel, yeah. <laughs> Manuel yeah. Labor? Yeah. And so, you know, I did that, and uh, the, the question was, how did, how did I get into art? Well, before we jump what? onto that, that's also the hometown of a very famous uh, Mexican-American, right? Delano. Delano. Yep. The home of who? Cesar Chavez. Cesar Chavez, right? Yes. So he was doing his thing mm -hmm. when you were doing that kind of field work, right? Well, I was younger. I was young at yeah, that time. Kid, but I started doing the real work when I moved to Manteca. But my father knew Cesar, and Cesar had come to our house a few times. Right. Wow. But I was just a little kid, so I don't know have, have any details of that sort of thing. I just know that he was there, and because it was a small town. There was right. you know, 10, 15,000 people, and not too many, but, and everybody knew who he was. He was probably trying to recruit you guys to go on the march. 
Probably, uh, you know, they're, they, well, and they, yeah, my father, my father had his, his little gang and they were kind of like your little gang from empire, right. you know, and my father was <laughs> called Raton. He was the rat right. and there was a snake and there was a bulldog and there's all these different we guys. We Mighty Mouse and uh, Chuko and we had all kinds of, yeah. Yeah. And what about you? Do you guys have the, the gang here? Uh, yeah. The, I, in my neighborhood, there's plenty of gangs. I uh, still act to those. Yeah. Well, not you, but. Yeah, exactly. No, I wasn't, I was never a part of it. My no, mom didn't allow San Franciscan is what we determined. Right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> we determined that in a, li- we'll a little while ago. We'll get back to that in a little bit, yes. but yeah, it, was, sure. it was good. Yeah, so. Uh, okay, so then you went from um, from Delano mm-hmm. to, you said to Manteca. To Manteca. What, what caused the, uh, what spurned uh, your family move. to move over there? Yeah. Sugar beets. Sugar beets. You guys are just following the, uh, the That's That's where, but we, uh, we had a little house, 20 feet square. And in it lived six boys, my mother, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother. Wow. wow. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. And all six of us kids slept in the same bed. Right. Three this way and three that way. You wow. Know? Wow. It was, uh, we were poor, very poor. This was in Manteca. And this was, no, this was in Delano. Delano, so. And then we moved to Manteca, then things got better. And, you know, I went through school, and in high school is when I started doing the art. I was a wrestler, I, I pole vaulted, I did that sort of athletic thing, but I fell in love with painting. That goes all the way back to when I was in the fourth or fifth grade. But it was all started in, actually, when I was in, in the first grade, there were articles in the paper about me. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, then my teachers submitted things about uh, how I interpreted Thanksgiving. They asked about interpreting Thanksgiving, and everybody else in the class did uh, pictures of eating turkey and the whole spread of the family getting getting together. And right. I did one with Jesus Christ on the cross with St. John and some other saint. I can't remember which one it was. And that ended up there. And my teacher's name was Mrs. Segesvery. Uh-huh. And she was from Czechoslovakia. And the thing that caught her mind was that it seemed to her that all of the rest of the students were complying with what was expected of them. And she said in her country, they kids could not do drawings like I did. Really? That would have gotten them in trouble. And so that's why it got into the uh, to the news. So you were controversial. At a I was a controversial age. kid right off the bat. Right off. Yeah. So um, how did you, um, you said that, that it, it started from that. That's where the initial yeah. interest in uh, in fine art or art, the arts started, right? Yeah. So how did you start to, uh, now you're in high school now, correct? Well, mm-hmm. that started then, but you're in high school. How did, how did you really start to, uh, what, what made you pursue art as a, a something that you were going to do for the rest of your life? Or Now you get the story. Now I get the story. Okay. <laughs> My father worked us, and he worked us constantly. Right. And one day my mother decided she thought there was something wrong with me that I, that I was going to commit suicide. I didn't sense I was going to commit suicide, but she, she did, and mother knows best. And so she wanted to take me to go see a doctor to see what was wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so we go in to see this doctor, and he asked my mother to leave so he could ask me some questions. And he asked me, well, what do you do on your time off? And I said, I don't have time off. He said, well, what do you do on your days off? I don't have days off. Well, well what do you do? He said, I work. I said, well, what kind of work? And so I tell him all the things that I'm doing, and we're raising animals, we're doing mechanic work, because my father owned a trucking company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I didn't mind, I don't mind working. I told him, I said, I don't mind working. I just don't want to work all the time. That's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. 
So he calls my mother back in and he says, are you trying to get this kid to kill himself? Why do you work him so much? And she says, I don't, his father does. And then he says, well, you're his mother, so you gotta stop this. And so uh, he asked me, is there something you wanna do? I was 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. And this was in August. And so I said, I don't wanna work all the time. And then I just said, I'm an artist. I didn't say I want to study art. I didn't say I want to uh, be an art student. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm an artist. Did that happen at the and moment that you were answering the question because someone had asked you? No. It, or just, it, or just it, there was like this life. feeling that went over me because I knew I, ha- I have to figure this thing out right now. And I knew for several reasons, one of which is I loved art. Mm -hmm. And second is that I knew it was something my father knew nothing about and that his opinions about it were thoroughly irrelevant Mm -hmm. because he was incredibly critical of all of us. When when I left home, uh, all of my brothers, as they reached 18, left. Mm -hmm. When my youngest brother turned 18, my mother divorced my father on that day. Really? It was, it, this was something uh, psychological that was happening. It, it was incredibly intense. Wow. And so that's, uh, so then my mother decided she was going to get me some paint. So I said, because I said I wanted to paint. And so I talked to my art teacher and he gave me a list of, of paints, brushes, things like that. Yeah. And we went and we, and she bought these things for me. And then I put them away and I couldn't touch them until December 1st of that year because I had to work. Oh <laughs> so I got God. back to work. But come December 1st, it rained and it mm. rained and it was cold. And my father said, no work today. And I said, well, then I'm going to paint. Yes. And I just started, pulled out the paints and I started painting. From that day until December, uh, uh, I mean, um, at the end of January, I produced 13 paintings, framed in, in all different styles. And my teacher looked at them. Oh, and, yeah. You were still in high school? Or in- yeah, high school. And so uh, I just turned 18 on January 5th. Mm-hmm. So I, th- that's the center point of where it was. I started painting in, in December 1st of my 17th year and I, and I finished these first 13 a month after I turned 18, right? And so he said, let's have a show of your work and we'll do it at, at the boardroom. Hmm. And so he arranged for the president, the principal of the school to go to my house with his big Winnebago and we loaded all the paintings in there and they were all, the smallest was 24 by 36 and the largest was four by five feet. Wow. And he couldn't believe it, what was going on. And, and so we took him into this room and there was nothing on the walls. And I just set all the paintings all around and I was gonna hang them. Mm-hmm. And then all of the board members came in and then they started buying them. And I sold all but one of them. Wow. Only the very first one that I produced, I didn't <clears throat> sell. And so I had $450 from that sale, which doesn't sound a lot, like a lot, Back but then, if you, this but was if like you, like 1832, right? That was a lot of, this was, this was a while back. Yeah, let me show you something here. If you go to, um, this is the inflation calculator. Oh, geez. Now, Mr. Serrells, the magical Mr. Serrells. You're going to, you're going to see, it might not show it up here, 
because it takes in its time. But it's a lot of money. But, you know, it, it came out to about twenty-four, twenty-five $2,500 in today's money. Wow. And and so I was able, to, I, I used all of that money, went back into art supplies. My father could come unglued. He just thought, you're out of your mind, son. Don't you know said, artists no. don't make any money till they're, until exactly. after they're dead? I was told, <laughs> you're going to fail. You're going to fail. That's all he ever said is you're going to fail. Right. And so it just kind of determined I, I, this is what I'm going to do. And I never, and I decided I will never change from this thing. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Even when I asked my wife to marry me, I said, sit down. I'm going to ask you to marry me, but there are conditions. Oh, I didn't, and I didn't ask her kindly. I just said, sit down. This is, this is serious stuff. And I said, um, first thing is I'm going to be an artist. Second thing, don't ever try to change that. Third, don't ever tell me to get a job. And we just went right down this whole set Anyways, of Anyways, for all you aspiring artists who are thinking about getting married, <laughs> listen closely. <laughs> but don't necessarily use this technique because she then turned around and she said, okay, I can do that, but here's a condition for you. Ooh. I said, oh shit. <laughs> and she says, I don't ever want to have kids. Oh. And I said, what do you mean you don't want to have kids? What's the point of getting married? And she says, well, I want to be a career woman and I don't want to have children. And I said, well, it's the seventies, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, we, we were doing things like that. And then, so we did well. And for 13 years, that's all I ever heard. We're never going to have kids and we're never going to have kids. Oh. After 13 years, she walks up to me. She's five feet tall. She looks me right in the eyes and she says, I want children, I want three of them, and I want them now. Wow. I said, oh, shit. Well, got to work. Again. But that's the way wants. life That's the way life works. Yeah. You know, and so you make conditions and you say certain kinds of things. It doesn't mean you stick to it. Absolutely. You right. have to, everybody has to be a little bit flexible. Right. Anyway. And, and you had, um, um, so you, and you have three kids? That's I have three kids, three, and three they're 20 kids. months apart, and wow. they're back back. 29, 27, and 25. Wow. Okay. And how, how, how long have you been married to? Uh, 43 years. 43 years. And still I'm, I'm 64, and I've known her since I was 11. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> when did you guys start dating? Holy wow. shit. When did you guys start dating? <laughs> <laughs> Holy no, shit. No. You guys were young, though. Yeah, well, I, I first took her out. I was 18, and she was 17. And you guys remember that behind every great man, there is a great woman. Man, I can, I can testify she's that. She's a great one. Wanda is a, is a great one. On that note, mm. we're going to continue with the story, but I think we should break on that note to try out. Uh, we have a new tequila. Ah, And okay. we should, we have shots for everybody. But before we do that. Yes, sir. We should introduce El Magico. Yes, sir. We should introduce the Benny one. The Benny one. And uh, our... our the guest, right? And we have He's another guest. With Sarah's, uh, Jaime Sandoval. Yep. He's hanging out in the studio. And it's, yeah, because today we, we had like a real awesome day. We went to the uh, Legion of... We hung um, out at the... Well, first we went to breakfast. Oh, yeah, we went to we breakfast. Had a great breakfast, and we hooked up with a bunch of... Uh, another bunch of uh, Sarah's students that, that he mentored, um, including myself. There was how many? Four there? Four of us there? Yeah. And there's a whole number of other students that part of this kind of group of posse that we have. We're kind of the MJC group, right? Where we all met, we all were uh, it was, it was learned under him. Awesome day. So it was fun. And then we went to the- uh, Legion of Honor. Uh, the, yeah, the, the Legion of Honor. And we caught the, uh, we're lucky enough to call catch the Rubens, the early work. Wow. Uh, what did you guys, what did you think? 
Oh, dude, I was super impressed. Well, this was the first time there at the museum as well, right? You know, it was the first time I'd been there since I was probably like maybe 14, 15. Yeah, so it was, like it was probably a field trip too, from what I remember. That was a long time ago. Right. Um, but it was Dr. Saros. It was incredible. It was at least my 150th trip over there. I don't know how many times yeah, I've Dr. been there. Just time. to let you know, you opened up my eyes when I went and saw, stood in front of that painting of the uh, Russian wedding. Yeah. I don't know if that's the title of, of the painting. The Russian Bride. The Russian Bride. Yeah. Oh my God. That shit was tight. That was amazing. You made me see things I didn't see. Mm-hmm. Tell me to go up close. Tell me to go from side to side. You, my friend, are... Look at the brush. Look at the brushwork. It, yeah. was, it was awesome. It was awesome. It is, it's a very abstracted thing when you really look at a painting from the artist's perspective because artists will, will look and see in a painting things that non-artists or, or painters, should I say, cannot see until mm-hmm. it's really pointed out to them. And even then, they are not going to understand it because painting is about a relationship between your hand and the brush and the flex of the bristles, the viscosity of the paint, the texture of the canvas and the paint that's already on the canvas. All of these things become a a really living extension part of your mind. And painting has to be in the mind and projected through your eyes in a symbiotic relationship between your thinking and the subject matter and the thing that you're trying to finish out and if you're not, your, con- your concentration isn't completely into that thing, mm-hmm. it will go flat. Yeah, and that, which was, makes, that was unbelievable. Which makes painting, that's the whole magic of painting, where he's talking about being in that as well. Because painting is, it's not writing, right? So it's outside of words. Mm-hmm. It's pre, um, pre kind of language, thinking. And when you're getting up in that zone, when you're in that painting zone, you're, you're, it's beyond, you're kind of thinking with your whole being all at once. So you're tapping into something that's that's not limited by the constraints of, or the structure of language. Right. So it's a, a deeper symbolic, it's like the it's like your body's involved when you, because you're using yeah. your hand. Yeah. And so your whole being is communicating. Your hand is communicating, yeah. basically. And so it's touching things that are deeper, deeper layered into your subconscious. So, and I think that's where the real magic, I mean, there might be a, a, like, you know, it's a Russian bride, but the artist isn't thinking it's more than just a subject matter. Right. 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 It's, it's the feeling. It's a novella and, in one picture. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. It's yeah. a novella in one picture. Kind of like your you, masterpiece over here in the back. The right time. And you have to read it. You have to load. Yeah. This guy's coming in. This person's looking at him over here. There's a discussion over here. You, you look at the whole space and then the spatial characteristics of it are designed that when you look at it from whatever angle you are, it opens up the space. Mm-hmm. And your mind has to get conditioned to that sort of thing. And a lot of people's minds do not get conditioned to it. So they look at it and they still see a flat picture. Right. And so you have to develop your mind to see beyond that. It's like understanding music. the depth. If you want to go further with it. Because there's levels to enjoy it. There is. Yeah. But if you want to get to the deeper levels, the more you know and understand about art and how to look at paintings and sculpture or architecture, the, the, the deeper you'll be able to appreciate like yeah. what's right, happening right, right. Yeah. like what he, what, when he was walking back and forth and watching the perspective oh, turn yeah. 
oh, uh, yeah. on, on it. And then look, getting back from the painting and seeing what appears to be a lot of high detail painting and then walking up to it and watching it dissolve into just pure abstraction. Yeah. That's, that's real painting. Right. right. Um, and not, not all painters can do that, but this guy was so well-trained. And they're not also meant Mikowski's to be, his name. Even though yeah. painting, you, you think you see it in an instant. They're not you meant don't. to be. They're they're meant to be experienced through time, mm -hmm. by you experience it, and that kind of the way the artist uses composition to move your eye around the picture, it's almost sequential, yeah. right? So you have to, and that's why the more you look, the more you see, and the more you understand, and the more you appreciate it, because it's not meant to be all understood in one, one second or yeah. one moment. Mm -hmm. It's to be enjoyed through. And that's what exactly what Dr. Sarrows did to me. He goes, come with me. And I said, okay. So he takes me, he takes me to the, into the room where the painting's at. Mm -hmm. And he's with uh, his, his two friends. And he's like, stand right here and stare at this painting. And he walks away and I'm staring at it. And I'm like, as soon as I'm, I, I wasn't even realizing, but I was I analyzing. There. <laughs> uh, what's that? Yeah, you just left just me there, left which was there. cool. Hmm. And, and I was just analyzing this painting and I was just kind of like taking it all in and I actually felt like I was in the room. Right. Like I was in the painting myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And wow. on that note, I think uh, we should crack that open because we took a little while and we were going to introduce El Magico and we were going to introduce Benny. So What's up, guys? Who is who is he? What does he do? El Magico is he's the, the magic man. He's the magician behind everything. Hello. <laughs> What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah. All right, man. Anything you want to say to our uh, our, our our fans out there? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to stay behind the scenes, but you know what though? He does, does an amazing job, man. Uh, over here to my left, we have uh, the Benny one. What's up, man? How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah. How's, how's your day going today? Great. <laughs> All right. Are you Great. behind the scenes too or what? I'm everywhere. Yeah, you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to nod. They can't see you nodding. So you got to you got you got to I'm talk. everywhere. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. So let's crack open that bottle. And Here let's uh, So what are we drinking today? So we're going to be trying out different tequilas. Mhm. Mm uh at uh, at each of when we bring guests in here, so uh, we're starting low budget right now because we're just getting started with. You're not this. supposed to say that online. So uh, <laughs> we're doing we're drinking this. Uh, it's a reposado, cien por cien agave, tequila. And uh, since we're talking about tequila, if you guys are ever going to drink tequila, make sure it can be low end, it can be high end. Make sure it says cien por cien, one hundred percent agave, mm -hmm. because what they do, a lot of people, have, I'm sure, have drinking tequila and just puked instantly, or you got really sick. That's because you're drinking 51% um, tequila that was made in the region around tequila in Mexico and 49% rum. And if anybody knows, you're not supposed to, I mean, if you- Don't mix it. Don't mix your drinks. <laughs> so make sure all your tequila <laughs> says- uh, And don't shoot it. your tequila. Yeah. Enjoy it's, your tequila. Yeah. Drink it. Exactly. Avoid like, like cognac. That whole salt- Like a fine yeah. cognac. Like yes. a fine cognac. <laughs> that whole salt and lemon thing- if you think about it, like people like to shoot and then pound it down with some salt and lemon, right? To right. kind of kill the taste. That's what you put on stuff that, on everything that you want to taste good, right? Salt mm -hmm. and lemon. You can put salt and lemon in any beer and it's going to taste a lot better. Right. So you, what you want to be able to, and the only reason you were putting salt and lemon is because you were drinking that 49% rum, rum crap. You're drinking so that Jose Cuauhtemoc. When you drink it, it's, it's in <laughs> bad taste and we need to change that whole 
summer Tijuana yeah. spring break thing. Yeah, and uh, realizing stuff. that, that uh, tequila a is a very uh, good. Beer. So on that note, anyways, we're going to be huh? drinking. Uh, I think it's called uh, Olmeca Altos, 100% agave uh, reposado tequila. Yeah, there's three different kinds of tequilas, right? There's the silver, there's the reposado, which has been aged longer, and then there's the añejo, which has been aged even longer than that. Um, since we're talking about tequila, for yeah. a drink to be tequila, it has to come out of Mexico, uh, especially Jalisco. the region of Jalisco. But yep. they have other places like Tamaulipas, other parts mm-hmm. of the regions where they actually. Uh, but it's still called tequila, and there's a town well, called tequila. I heard. I heard if 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 you if you make tequila outside count. of Jalisco, mm, it's right. called uh, mezcal. It might Is be. that you might be right. You might I, be right. I'm not sure. I, someone quote. I mean, someone Mezcal tequila. Moment. It's it's pretty much. Very yeah, it's similar. pretty much the same. It's yeah. um, three levels. Yeah, it's, it's There's more, uh, again silver smoky. reposado añejo. We're drinking a uh, reposado. Another thing. So if you're drink, if you guys think that Patron, when you guys go take a shot of Patron at the club, people like to turn up on Patron. No, for sure. Patron is not a tequila. Patron is made in California. And really? So it's not. That's why we call it Patron and not tequila. Really. Yeah, and I, I think it's. I thought owned, it says it's in Mexico on that thing, doesn't it's it? It's owned by some fashion. Can you find out for us since you're the tech dude? What does it say? All right, let's see here. All right, so show myself for tequila. Tequila is only produced inside the Mexican state of Jalisco and in some muni. Uh, what? Municipalities. Yes, municipalities. Tamaulipas, there's other I can't even say that word. Anyways, correct. Guanajuato, Michoacán, sí. Nayarit, and sí. Tamaulipas. Uh, exactly. Sí. Any agave-based distilled spirit outside those regions are called mezcal. See, there yeah. you go. Oh, you were right, too. But In other words, all tequilas right. are mezcals, yes, but sir. not all mezcals are tequila. Yeah. Oh. Bam! So mezcal is basically the original, it's the old way of making tequila. It goes way back. <laughs> Uh, tequila, tequila without the mezcal is just a more refined European. The Spanish, Wait. Spaniards went in there so, and they go, well, let's make it like huh? this. So, and what is mezcal? So now mezcal you know. Tequila. But uh, can you check to see where Patron was made? I'm looking at, but as long as we're talking about tequila, I think originally tequila was made as a sipping drink, not. As it is a sipping drink. It is. Exactly. Yes, like yeah, that's what we were saying. Yeah, it's a sipping drink. That's why people. It's supposed to be treated as a uh, like a cognac. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Very yes. good, sir. So part of what we're doing here at uh, Lex B Frank, yes, sir, is. Uh, Educating you guys on how to how to have class, man. How to do things right, man. Be a gentleman when be you're a gentleman. Tequila. You're gonna be a drunk Mexicano out there going. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> All right, just I learned that I learned that in Mexico, baby. <laughs> anyway, so I'm about to pour us a shot. All right, let's do uh, this. Of reposado, hecho en Mexico. Here comes the shot glasses, and we're going to be giving honest opinions of what we think about the. Uh, put that mic up. Sounds great, <laughs> <laughs> but how's it taste? We're going to find out. All right. Yeah. Nice. So nice and full. Okay, so who gets the fourth? He's saying, wait a minute. That head went up so fast. Marco said he <laughs> wasn't drinking. Have, no, he Benny. said he doesn't drink. Marco B. Beers. The Benny one. No beers. You I'm going to get this. Okay. Our technician decided that he's going to keep himself straight. Because he has to. How do you like that? How do you like that? My only shot. Salute. 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 Thank you, Dr. Saros. Really appreciate you coming on the show, and really appreciate your your input. your input on everything. It's it's awesome. That's smooth. It is. It's pretty good. It is good. It's not bad. It is. Whew. 
It's not bad at all. This is really good. After I he like tells us this smooth. is not guzzling stuff. He tugs it. <laughs> What's the chugging about? He wants another yeah, one, that's we why. He said oh. this was a sipping. <laughs> it's, sipping for, it's sipping for the rookies. You should have <laughs> seen what to, uh, to my cognac. Oh, yeah? I once left him and Leo with a full bottle. Ours, with uh, a full VSOP bottle. Corvassier. <laughs> and, and I poured them a glass, and then I, was, I had to leave... And they said, oh, you mind if we have another? And I said, yeah, go right ahead. With the I came, we would I, drink them out of the snifters, fancy snifters. Of course. I come back, and there was virtually nothing left, not even half of a real. It was six hours later after we yeah. did a good session and of so, painting. I and so I was kind of pissed about the whole no, thing. You were pissed. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, Leo, kind of and Leo realizes uh, you guys went way beyond the panel there. And I said, uh, you guys got to get me some more. But how and, was the artwork, though? Uh, <laughs> we were they, were, they were young. <laughs> and so uh, Leo, Leo says, I'll, I'll make it up to you. So how does he make it up? How does a young man like this make it up? He steals a bottle of cognac? No, no. He brings me a fucking case of Keystone Light. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Keystone oh. Light. I opened up a can. I couldn't drink a half a can of that shit. It was so nasty. Just like caps, it's it's just awful. Just blue awful. Ribbon? That's like a blue, blue ribbon or something. Yes, this, yeah, this is the very bottom. This is the the reserved. dregs. Jesus, right? I, I'll Jesus. never forget. He came there and he goes, "Don't you guys understand? You never drink a man's Corvassier without his permission." Oh man, I didn't hear the end of that for a while. I mean, I was Still always nice to him because he's telling the story I'm now. Don't hear the story. That was twenty years ago. Well, yeah, because I'm seeing. You know, I, I I haven't drank a quarter of mine yet. Frank sucked it down. I know, right? Yeah. On, on that note, uh, this past Christmas, I had a bottle that my mom gave me of some XO. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. And uh, my uh, in-laws were there, <laughs> and I came home one night, and my bottle was empty. Oh, uh, so it happened. I, it, it was unopened. Now, how good is Wait, this stuff? Was huh? it, it was unopened originally, and then. No, they drank it all. Didn't even get a text. That it, nobody questioned <laughs> nothing? it. They didn't say nothing. Oh, nah, they just, just came home to an empty it bottle. Just, I had it for like seven years. Oh, That's gonna hurt. That's gonna no. hurt. Nah. Ooh. Did you hey, kick now, him out of the house? No. Now, what you guys also have to know. I, I couldn't do anything. It was Christmas, you know. Oh, <laughs> the in-laws, man. You got to be nice to them. Yeah. Now, right? That's true. He kept his mouth shut. He did the right that's thing. That's true. <laughs> we were so, just, we were hey, just Mr. Searles, Dr. Searles. It was Mr. Searles at the time, right? We were his, just his little, you know, his little. Minions? His little scrubs. You're his minions. His lackeys. <laughs> I, 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 speaking of lackeys, I have lots of lackeys that I roll with all the time. Marco right here, the Benny one. He's uh, my number one lackey. So um, I'll be introducing them from time to time. Well, we have video, I, I think. We got pictures. Okay, now remember what I was saying. We we said mascal. Yeah, this is tequila. This tequila. is tequila, but yeah. tequila is mascal. Yeah, but not all mascal. The Our same thing concerning brandy. Right, all cognac is it's brandy. It's French, isn't it? Yes. Okay, but not all brandy is cognac. Cognac comes from the city of Cognac and the little region yeah. right around it in Bordeaux. Oh. And so this is a very, very controlled, like you said about this one being controlled, mm -hmm. it is a denominazione di origine. Meaning it, it has to come from a very specific place because the ground in, in which the plants are grown is perfect and the, the temperature, yeah. the mineral content and yeah. so on makes the taste 
What was that word uh, that you use right now? To it's got to be what? Denominazione de origine. Exactly. Is it translated? Is it translated in uh, Mexican tequila talk means hecho en Mexico. I mean, pretty much no, similar. No, no, similar to that term, hecho en Mexico. But you say. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of want another shot. That shit was really good. Where's cognac from? Let me finish it. You got your headphones on. Bordeaux is the region. Okay, got you. But the little town of. Cognac. If, if you notice, this one doesn't have that stopper on it. What's what? What does it need no, a stopper for? Just, no, you know, you know, you know. No, I know exactly. What like, you mean. You, there, yeah, all right, yeah, never mind. Oh, so uh, why does Francisco Franco know so much about um, tequila? I thought you were a painter, you know, whatever the hell you think you are. Uh, I know so much about tequila because I have been commissioned. Some of my early work was. Uh, uh, some of my first early commissions were were sponsored by tequila companies like Herradura. Um, there's a whole El Corazon. There's a whole. I, that's all I was doing. They they had the money at the time uh, to be able to, um, and it was a good way for them to to brand because it wasn't like giving you a poster or like a little sign that you can unhang a neon, neon sign. It was there and it was on the wall and it had their branding on there. And so I basically had to learn how to make tequila in order to be able to create a. A mural, and I did. Mural, I did tequilas yeah. about the the whole process. That's beautiful. I also did uh, paintings about the regions. So where we had what was called the Tequila Trail, where it was basically a map uh, indicating all the different cities that we just talked about. Right. On, um, Tequila, about you know where tequila was made, so that's why I know so much about tequila. Plus, so, I love that's cool. Where can that's cool. Go see these. Um, you can go to um, you can go to Tres or Trace, as the San Franciscans call it, because Tres is too hard to say, I guess, for these <laughs> gentrifiers. Tres, Tres, it's like Tras. It's yes. Trace. It used to be called Tres Agaves, which means three agaves. They they cut the name down to Tres because uh, the Anglo's were having trouble saying Tres Agaves. Ah. So it turned into Trace instead Agaves. of Tres. Agaves. They can't uh, say Agaves. There was a giant mural there. There was also a Corona mural that I actually hired mm -hmm. you to help me out work on. Yeah, we did I a Corona mural. And uh, now there's there's been new ownership changes. A lot of things <clears> have happened. They still have the Tequila Map mural. And the other, one of the other murals about the distillation process is no longer there. I have no idea where it went. Um, and I did another one for the Trace in um, Roseville. <laughs> and that one was done on an aluminum panel and it was Trace. absolutely beautiful. Lasted a few years. It was a high-end uh, restaurant. And um, I don't know what happened to that mural. But whoever has it is very lucky because it's one of my favorite really? pieces that I've done. Yeah, it was done with, on metal with all these metallic and iridescent uh, paints. It was is it shown on your website? Yeah, you guys can find it. I can repost stuff um, soon that, that's not there. But you, can, if you look deep enough in my Facebook, uh, the, the Francisco Franco Studios fan page, you can you can go in there and look. And I'll make sure to repost things just to give a kind of reminder. Yeah. So just hit hit up uh, Francisco Franco Studios Facebook, and you should you should find me. Just hit like. All right. Anyways. And I have a question for Doctor Saros. Yes, Doctor Saros. Wait, 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 before we go on, did we yeah. say what why he's a doctor? No, I don't think we. I just been I just been saying Doctor Saros the whole day just because I thought he was a, a doctor. Yes. <laughs> he's a brain surgeon, no. but not where he's going to pick your brain with the with the with the knife, which I don't recommend. Right, cutting your brain open or anything like that. But uh, he's definitely will insert surgically information and that will blow your mind. That's cool. So in that way, but he's a doctor of, of art history. Where did you get your, uh, your, uh, where'd you get your undergraduate degree? My undergraduate was at UC Santa Barbara and that's where I did my master's and my PhD. And cool. my specialty was Italian Renaissance. 
Um, my secondary was the Baroque. So Peter Paul Rubens, who we went to oh, see wow. today, fit right into our discussion. That was yes. that really was because that that's was when amazing. Rembrandt was and Leonardo and yeah, Velasquez. I picked all the good ones. Yes, the Velasquez is. You know, if you guys Rembrandt. need to go see a show, go to that show to the Legion of Honor and go see this show because it'll blow you away. I there's a painting. At, at the show, the painting with the, with, uh, during the Christ where the King said, you know, you gotta, you know, kill all the, the, yeah, the, the, the male massacre babies, of the, innocents. the, yeah. the massacre of the innocents. Is it Herodotus? There's two situations like that. Herod. happened in his Herod. King Herod. King Herod. And That's that a, a blew me. And I think that blew me away because I have two girls. It, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to cry looking at this. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, I oh my God, dude, it was just like. But it's such an awesome, it's, it's been attempted by certain artists. Mm -hmm. It's one of those themes that you don't, you, you shouldn't tackle unless you're someone like Rubens. Right. You know, who can, who can pull it off in a way where it's just not a grotesque, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Scenario, you know. It does have a long history. Yeah, there's know, different paintings. All the way back to the Pisanos. Yeah. They did beautiful uh, reliefs of this, and, and one one of those is just spectacular in how the hand language and the facial gestures tell a story from the very beginning of when he set, gives out the order till the second, third, fourth, all the way till they're tearing the kids apart. It was and, incredible. And you see the fight with the with the, like with the mothers. The mothers and the I felt like crying. Yeah. But you know, that's Master just, of the Innocence. <laughs> yeah. Master of the Holy Innocence. That was that was an amazing painting. And, that, that and touched it's, me. It's sort of like, you know, go, I'm just trying to connect this to even modern art or, or art or expression. So film is one of our most important expressions of art right in this day. Even when, the, and I'm going to go to Star Wars, everybody knows I'm a Star Wars fan. Uh, when Luke Skywalker goes and kills all the younglings, remember that? Mm -hmm. He kills all the baby Jedis. They don't show it. Wait, wait, what? When, not Luke Skywalker, Anakin Anika Skywalker. Oh. I was like, wait, what? It's ordered to kill all the little <laughs> yeah. children. Right. But they don't show up. But that's how deep even Star Wars can go, where he's touching on the theme in a, in a new way, right? Yeah. And so there, it's not, it's something that's, it's, it's in the collective consciousness. Right. Right. And so he, he kind of gets into it there. But it's a theme that, that continues, is what I'm saying. It's been around and it's still happening, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, right. but, but that, that painting also boosts forward, along with many others of the same theme, to hit on Picasso's Guernica, right, where it's it's about the suffering of some kind of incident that happens out of the blue, because in that case, a Nazi planes just drop bombs on a Guernica. Basque city, yeah, a Guernica. So, you know, there's there is a, those themes that are recurring, and we see them in different formats in the movies, yeah. in abstract paintings. And in these much more realistic paintings by uh, Rubens. Mm -hmm. So, where to next? Oh, and the other great thing about this show is uh, there were wonderful paintings mm -hmm. that show yeah. the transformation of this young artist mm -hmm. from his beginnings With his through he finally reaches uh, full command. Yeah. And then drawings, really great drawings. And Prince, mm -hmm. the only thing that it didn't really show of his that he was really brilliant at doing was creating uh, tapestries. Mm -hmm. And the guy kept saying that we don't have any of the tapestries, and that was really yeah. kind of sad because a couple of those would have really kind of. I had no idea the, about the. But, but, I, but the fact that he kept mentioning them, I, I knew yeah. that they were important. Yeah, I've seen them, and they're fantastic, really, really fantastic. Yeah. 
So Raphael had done some. That's when I think of tapestries, I think of Raphael. I've yeah. seen dozens of Raphael. So those no. are fantastic. And just let everybody not the Ninja Turtle. All right, <laughs> talking about uh, <laughs> real painters here. Real painters, yes. There's uh, Leonardo, Leonardo, Michelangelo, <laughs> Donatello, and who's the fourth one? Uh, Raphael. 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 Yeah, Raphael. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except that Donatello wasn't a painter. They always say that he was a painter on the Ninja Turtles. He was a sculptor. He was, was a sculptor? he a sculptor? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He was. I don't even know. I didn't even. Know. Donatello. I have a question. Donatello. Who is your favorite artist? Me? Yeah. Yours personally. Like, well, you know, when, when you when you talk to me about art, Frankie, I see it from the broadest from the broadest range, Leonardo. Really? Because of the way his mind worked. When if you ask me who's the greatest artist of say the last thousand years, that's Michelangelo. And sure. anybody who wants to argue with me on that one, they can go right ahead and try. Really? But nobody, I, I've had people try to tell me that Picasso was his equal. No. Wow. Uh, because Michelangelo was, at, in his century, the greatest fresco painter. He demonstrated himself better than anybody in tempera. He was the greatest marble sculptor. He was the greatest architect without any discussion. He did. He created St. Peter's Basilica right. in Rome, right? Mm -hmm. And he was also considered the greatest poet That's right. of the 16th century. And when you've got somebody who's loaded with their, in their mind with so many different facets and sees the integration, the, the intersections of, of all of these arts, you look wherever you want and you'll see, well, yeah, well, maybe... Picasso made some sculptures. Maybe he made some ceramics. Maybe he did some printmaking and so on. Yeah, maybe he did, but he wasn't the greatest at all of those like Michelangelo was. I mean, Michelangelo set up and set up the way that we think of art and what it's supposed to be for from his time to, to now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and, and influenced everybody. I mean, our idea and concept of what art should be and could be all is structure. He set up the framework that was followed yeah. by the artists. There were there was a lot of uh, steps moving in the direction towards him, and even Vasari, who was a contemporary of his, wrote the lives of the great artists to make precisely that point. Some people say, "Well, yeah, that's why you're accepting that." No, it's because I've seen those things. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I've been on the scaffolding and touched the Sistine ceiling. Wow. Right. I have right. seen wow. everything. I've been everywhere. And as I look at all of these things, I see, yeah, these, I mean, it's sad that Raphael died because if, if he hadn't died so young, yeah, in his 30s, so 32 or 33 years old, uh, he could have outstripped everybody. That yeah. guy was incredible for, for his age. Uh, Titian lived so old. So he, he was just, uh, Michelangelo was, by the way, just short, a month short of being 90 years old. Wow. And he was still working when he died. And the wow. thing that made Raphael great, which is, he's, he represents sort of the end of um, uh, the Renaissance, right? Yeah. The, with his death. But what made him awesome as hell is that he was not just Michelangelo, but he was Michelangelo and Leonardo. And he mixed And he mixed them and combined them and Antitian and pushed it further and died. Right. And, he, and died. he was younger than those guys. He was a contemporary, but he was still younger. And now I understand why you were Frankie's mentor. Yeah. He's, he absorbs he you like like a freaking <laughs> yes. sponge. All this stuff from <laughs> he he understands that. it. You Can go I, up there and you'll see the books, that, and it's, it's the same ones. That we're same ones about. you have, huh? Here's a question. Do you remember your first art piece that you've ever done? Like, what got you into art? 
Well, I, I told you guys the story this, about how I how you, you made that decision. Right. And then 17. when I first started doing it, it was uh, the very first painting I did. Uh, I also did one when I was in the fourth, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I got my face all burned up in a gasoline accident, burning trash. And so I, I went to happens. summer school and <laughs> and I, I did some paintings and they came out quite well. And I and I kind of that's when I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. But when I decided to to become an artist or or to state I am an artist, mm-hmm. that was when I was seventeen. Right. And the first thing I did was because I didn't know what to paint or how to. I just needed to know how do you put paint onto a surface, right. and how do you look at something and analyze its structure and so on, and transfer the two dimensional object into the two dimensional here. And so I found a, a Christmas card with with Mary and the baby Jesus. Right. Jesus, right? Jesus has been so powerful over your life. Yeah. It's such and an so, influence. And so, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, Cyril kind of looks Jesus-ish. If you guys want to know, he's got this big, Leonardo, long. Leonardo, Leonardo. He looks like a renaissance. He came, <laughs> yeah. he walked out of the renaissance, and he's here. Okay, anyways. Yeah. So... But let me rephrase my question. Ask me the same when, question. I will. Ask me the question. I will. Just real quick. Ask me the same question. I got a quick answer. Okay. Ask it. When did you... When did you... What was my favorite painting that I've ever done? Yes. The next one. <laughs> All right. Mike, let me drop the mic real quick. <laughs> you can't. Um, <laughs> here, no, my question, like, uh, when did you pick up a pencil or pick up a paintbrush and say, I'm going to paint this... How did you how did you put all that together and say, look, I'm gonna create something out of nothing and I'm now an artist? I know you said you were an artist when you were seventeen. Yeah. But prior but to that No, there, that's a hard I, question. I don't think I don't think that you do that. I, I, I don't think it's a hard question. No. I remember it, it, I remember when I started drawing and when I started becoming creative, I drew a lion for my third grade teacher and it was amazing. Okay, now did you did were you looking at a picture of a lion when you did that? I was. Okay, yes. see that's not the that's not the right kind of a thing because I did a whole bunch of paintings, but I was always referencing other things and I was doing variations on them. Sometimes I was copying other artists' works, mm-hmm. sometimes I was working from a photograph of something. And when you're doing that, you're, there's a certain interpretive element that you're adding into it. This is subjectivity of mm-hmm. the way that you do things. But that's not really your own true creativity. The true creativity comes when you look at a canvas and you have a brush in your hand with paint on it. And you just attack that thing. And now you start to build it. And it just comes directly out of your head without any other secondary element in it. Now, he was talking about how you can get the computer and you can integrate a whole bunch of things and you can create compositions. Yes, you can do that. Is that and, not art? And, uh, yes, it is art, okay. but it's it's not the same as the pure directly out of your mind. I don't know. When you start doing it directly out of your mind, then you're, because your mind has to start seeing it as soon as you start doing it, it starts seeing something there and then the whole thing starts to build. And as it builds, there, there's a symbiotic relationship between you and the thing that you're making. And when you first start doing it, you're imposing yourself onto it. Okay. There becomes a certain point where it starts to talk back to you. Right. Then there becomes a new point where it says, shut the fuck up and do what I tell you. Yeah. And it if tells you artist. what to do. If you're a good artist. Yeah. Well, and well, when okay. you reach that point, now you're making real art. I want to say You've something You've reached that. another level. I, okay. I, I think that there's... um always reference. I think when when Raphael, I mean, he, Peter Paul Rubens did those paintings, he did refer to things. Oh, yeah. However, 
However, yeah, models. when he was done drawing those and he put those put those things on there from life, not everything, but the things that he wanted to make. Say if it was a hand, I want a hand this way. He probably looked at a hand. Mm-hmm. But the, the the thing that makes someone like Peter Paul Rubens is that that hand is no longer that thing that he's looking at, he's interpreting it and making it his. Yes. That's that's the mind, too. So yes. I feel like there's both. There's reality and a superimposing of what's going on in your mind at the same time. From understanding, from drawing enough calves, from drawing 100 feet, right, yeah. or, or painting 100 hands, he's, he's, it's coming from the mind. Yes. It's, and, but it's also come, so there's form constant. He has, an, he, ha, he has an understanding of form, right? A, a conception of anatomy and what should it be. But I'm sure he's also looking at somebody, like in the portraits, but, but he's also in, uh, putting what he knows about, say, a leg or an arm or a foot on top of what he's seeing. Yes. So when he's paying, when he's painting that someone's foot or someone's face, it's gonna look. There's 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 not just a, um, a, a this is what I'm looking at, like a photograph does, mm-hmm. but this is this is how I conceive of what I look I'm looking at yeah. at the same time. Yes, and I think that's where that's I think that's what all the greats uh, did. It's both, not just one or not just the other. No, know? but what he was talking about is what, when did I first do, do that? Well, it's and, a different thing. And, uh, and you saw me do it because you saw the painting of the three satyrs develop. And I said, and I asked you and Leo, what are the rules that you don't do in right. composition? Right. And the, and you guys said, put the focus in the center. Right. Divide the composition in half. Right. And we, we went down a whole bunch of Like them. all the cliches that you're not yeah. supposed to use. And well, you're not supposed to do it. And I, and I took all those down and I said, okay, now I'm going to use all of those to make you an artwork. And I'm going to show you um, how to break all the rules and still come up with something that works. Something. And I created three satyrs standing there. I didn't reference anything. Um, I just I, went in I and disagree. drew. I saw you look in the mirror one time. Because they all look like you. <laughs> <laughs> you did look in the mirror. <laughs> Not, but, but he wasn't looking at his when, when I, goat when feet, because there was no goat feet, right? But yeah. but there was, you, my point is, you, you still have to kind of look out. I'll show and you bring the painting, in. and then you'll, I, you'll understand. I want to see this painting about. for sure. Okay, yeah, now. Oh, so when, but it was very minimal. It's very, minimal. very minimal. But there was still some of that yeah, aspect. But the, but the point is, like like Leonardo, when he wanted to get ideas, right. he used a technique that he called incomponimento inculto. Ay chingado. Ay chingado. That is a term for <laughs> taking taking water and uh, ink and maybe charcoal, throwing it around, and just making a little bit of a mess, and then out of that mess, pulling Creating out things emerge. You can mm. see. That I did a beautiful emerge. drawing, by the way, using this technique with Richard, and I didn't look at anything. Mm-hmm. You're right. So yes, it is possible. <laughs> He's learning. <laughs> okay. It is possible. No, no, but um, he also just uh, on a note. Um, he also used to, uh, if you were feeling like you weren't being a creative, you wanted to find creativity, it's exactly what, what Richard is talking about. Um, he would say, look at the clouds, and you'll see, like, he's talked about when battles, he looked in the clouds, horses. and there's these battles and horses. He also yeah. said, look at piss stains on the wall for, yeah. for inspirations, which is what later, what artists moss. like Max Ernst yeah. picked up the surrealists where, where they would use their plastic. That's yeah. a whole other conversation. Yeah. But, but basically... What you're saying, but I just thought yes. the pissing on the wall thing would bring it back to earth. For yeah, all of us. <laughs> but that, but that is that's true. It, it, the thing is to let the mind evoke. Just, let, let let what you're seeing. Yeah, because it, the greater the subjectivity rather than the objectivity in the painting, that it's bigger the, than what you can come up with. <laughs> yeah, and and your your self consciousness has to be sublimated. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're really self conscious about what you're painting when you're making the thing. 
you're making a thing. You're not letting yourself out. You and so there's a difference between the emotional impact of an artwork and the impressiveness of it. So if you're impressed by the artwork more than you are emotionally moved, then it's not that great of an artwork. It doesn't last that it, long, which I right. talk about. I talk, like, I'm always intimidated. But I, I see these graffiti artists who do these awesome things. I look at them like, oh my God, you know, this is so awesome. But because they're mind-blowing, right? They're graphic, right? Yes. They, they suck you in. They're intense. But then you look at it, you drive by it three or four, by the fourth time, you don't want to, you, you've seen it already. So that's enough. Yeah. You, that's enough. You've seen it. I'm not, I'm not hating. I'm not all due respect to all those guys that are doing that. And there's, there's power in that. And there's, and I, and I appreciate that. But it's, it's bada bing, bada boom. Mm-hmm. You yeah. drive by it for, but a great piece of artwork, like he's talking about originally, that thing is, is, will bring you back to it again and again. You, and as you grow, as you hit new paradigms in your mind, you will find more things to love about that piece that you're, that piece that you're looking at. That yeah. If it's got that thing to it, just like a Mozart, you know, or, or a Beethoven, it doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard it. doesn't matter what century. There's something deep rooted in that thing that's going to make you touch to the core of the of humanity, right? Of the human being that you mm-hmm. are. And those are the kinds of works that that last. Again, no hating on that guy. There's a, I mean, those that kind of work. But when you were talking about this type of stuff, Rube, Peter Paul, or people artists like mm-hmm. this, we're talking about people who can touch on the inter, the eternal that transcends uh, those types of, I, I just had to throw that. Anyway. The, this is true because there's different levels of master, mm-hmm. just as there are when we use the word masterpiece, in, in the ancient days, a masterpiece was something that was official, that you actually went through an apprenticeship, yeah. then a journeymanship, mm-hmm. yeah. and you come back and, and you have to master. produce a masterpiece and you have to subject it to the masters and they vote on it and determine whether you become one or not. If you don't, then you have to go do another journeymanship. Wow. And then what we started doing is saying, okay, masterpiece means that it sets a new paradigm within the earth, the, the, the set of work that an artist produces. Mm-hmm. And so one, not everything that Leonardo produced is a masterpiece. Not everything Michelangelo produced or Raphael or Rubens is or a Picasso. masterpiece. Or Picasso. Sometimes they are... Studies to, 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 to something higher. Yes. And sometimes painters that will go and it'll, and it'll be just like the one before. Yeah. They're very similar variations on a theme. And then all of a sudden out comes something yeah. new. There's a there's a quote of uh, one of Picasso's, I think he's one of his critics. I can't remember, but the guy's famous. But his quote is basically, was essentially that I've never seen so many terrible paintings made by a single artist, yet I haven't seen, I've never seen this many masterpieces produced by the same artist. Yeah. So Picasso basically would say Picasso might make a hundred artworks to get one masterpiece. Right. And it, but what's what makes Picasso special is, you know, he did a hundred. Say he did a thousand. Say a thousand of them. Ninety percent of them suck. He still has twenty masterpieces. How many artists have one? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, that's what Picasso highlighted the the the, the process. Right. It, it, it just you can't say I'm going to sit here and make a a masterpiece. It's kind of beyond you, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson had a similar court where he goes, I can't just sit here and write a Billie Jean. It has to come for, It has to come to you. I think he was in court but, when but, that happened. But Picasso had to, he, knew, right? he understood that. He had, to make, <laughs> no, he had to make hundreds of pieces for him to hit that one, yeah. right? That one piece. And this, just because it has Michelangelo's names or Rembrandt, whatever name, doesn't mean it's a masterpiece. Right. Who, was, who was the, the uh, producer of Thriller? 
Um, it was um, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones. I heard him actually make that same kind of discussion where he said, if we knew how to do this, yeah. we would do it again. Every time. But we can't. Exactly. He said, that, wow. that thing just had to happen. Yeah. And it has to happen at the moment while you're in it and you get the right combination of people together and everybody does their part, kind of like what we're doing with the big guy, Aaron, here. And today, what He's we're doing with the show, we're, we're working out kinks and things like yes. that. And so once once you feel that thing happen, you yeah. hope once you release it that it is going to make be a hit, but you can't predict it and you can't say, oh, this is going to do yeah, it. Yeah. And, and it has so much to do with the time that you're in and, it, it, back and, to the, place. and the place and who, and you can't, you can't make that. One person can't make that happen. Mm, I, right. I feel like an artist, all they can do is, I think I talked to you about this, is you can just be a ready conduit. You can be at the best place you can be yeah. so that when it's time for that thing to hit, yeah. it's going to hit. By the way, he was talking to me, uh-huh. Lex Guevara. Anyways, go ahead. It's going to hit. <laughs> but you can't make it hit. And not only that, the idea of perfection, trying to be perfect, is is right there a recipe for not being perfect, right? So you can't, trying to be perfect is actually going to make you not perfect. Right. right? And it's also going to make you, um, it's going to it's gonna kill the creativity because you feel like you have to do something and it's going to take you out of your, your zone and that natural place that you are because you're trying to be perfect. Right. And and trying to be perfect is not what it's about. That's a self-conscious. It's a self-conscious. It's going to make you self-conscious. Yeah. Because you're going to be afraid to do anything. You're going to be afraid to make mistakes because you're trying to be perfect. And you're going to be self-conscious, right? Right. And, and, and too perfect. And so that's what's going to... So anyways, we're about to go hit our, um, our next shot of this uh, lovely tequila. What's the name of this it, again? This is really Alto. It's good. good. It's... Uh, Olmeca Altos. Yes. 100% agave. Reposado. Tequila. Sí, aquí estamos un, otra vez. Vamos a tomar un shot de tequila. I think tequila. I, tequila. Is, is Frankie buzzing? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm about to be buzzing. <laughs> Uh-huh.